Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. The Paralympic Games have begun with a spectacular opening ceremony last night to kick off two weeks of sport here in Tokyo, making it the first city to ever host the Paralympics twice, the first time being back in 1964. Yet for all the sporting glory to come, the question remains what legacy can be created from these Paralympics? Amid the COVID 19 pandemic and with no fans there to watch them, will they lead to a more inclusive society here in Japan or will they leave little impression whatsoever? Joining me today to discuss these questions is Anoma von der Feder, a researcher at the Netherlands' Leiden Asia Center who's based at the University of Osaka. He writes about international collaboration and public policy in the fields of technology, education, and sport, and has written extensively about these Paralympics. Anoma, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to be in Tokyo just when the Paralympics are happening. So, before we get stuck into questions of legacy, what are you excited about for these Paralympic Games? Well, there's two things I'm excited for.、Uh, and the first one is I'm really looking forward to、um, the Dutch national team in wheelchair basketball, the, the women's wheelchair basketball to be specific, because we have some of the strongest athletes in the history of the sport. Uh, competing for the Netherlands. A very good friend of mine, Marlene van Ganswinkel, is also competing、uh, in the athletics. So, yeah, of course, I'm going to be supporting her. But from the perspective of a researcher, I'm mostly looking forward to what the Paralympics are going to bring for Japanese society.、Mm. Are they going to bring change? Is the whole movement going to disappear the moment the Paralympics leave? Is the media in Japan going to keep paying attention? To people with disabilities and disability rights、mm. in Japan. So I'm really looking forward to kind of the developments、um, after the Paralympics, ironically.、Mm. So, not just the sport itself. Not just the sports itself.、Uh, one of the missions、um, of the Paralympics is, of course, you know, creating more inclusive societies.、Mm. So, what's going to happen in Japan after the Paralympics leave is going to be one of the most important things to look for. So, we often hear about The idea of legacy. It's, it's a word that's thrown around a lot with the Paralympics and the Olympics as well. You know, you have this big sporting event or two events, and then what happens next? And you've spent quite a bit of time writing about legacy and what it means. And I think, you know, from your writing, you, you kind of discussed that it's legacy is a phrase or a term that is often quite vague and undefined. So, what does it mean to you to create a Paralympic legacy? So, Yes.、Um, like you say, legacy can be a very, very broad, vague concept.、Um, the reason legacy is a very vague concept is because people attach every, everything and anything to it,、mm. right?、Um, and this includes things like inspiration and motivation and things that you can't really measure.、Mm. So when I think of legacy, I think of things like can we measure policies? That are actually affecting people with disabilities in Japan. Can we measure access? Can we me- measure accessibility? Can we see it? Can we feel it? Can we touch it? You know, concrete things. So when I think of legacy, I wanna see things like、mm. that. I don't wanna feel inspired. I wanna feel、um, an elevator. You know,、um, <laughs> I wanna be able to, to, to see people with disabilities go anywhere、mm. and everywhere and play sports just like everyone. So, when I talk about legacy, I'm talking about that. Actual concrete structures. Yes. I mean, obviously, it's far too soon now to understand what the Tokyo Paralympic legacy is going to be. But if we look back at 
the legacies of past Paralympic Games. Uh, London's often kind of put on a pedestal as this Games that has a, a great legacy and people often refer to it in really positive terms. What do you view of the the legacies that have been created around past Paralympic Games? So it's, it's, it's manifold. There are, of course, um, a lot of different Paralympic Games that have taken place in, uh, over the fa- past few decades, right? The first time actually being referred to as the Paralympics here in Tokyo in 1964. Um, so every Games has had their own effects. Mm. For the 1964 Games, for example, we see that in Japan a big move towards institutionalization of people with disabilities took place. It's not really the best thing to have happened um, out of the Paralympics, mm-hmm. right? So we see different kind of effects for different games. We're talking about London mm-hmm. 2012 as this, like, this pinnacle of a good legacy for, for people with disabilities. And to a certain extent, this may hold true, a lot of attention was given to Paralympic athletes. And this is something that we can still sense. Mm. That we see Paralympic athletes on television programs. Uh, we still see them on, on, on TV, on the radio. We can hear them. Um, and they get a lot of attention. And that's good because, you know, you want people with disabilities represented in your media. But more concretely, if you look at participation levels in sports of people with disabilities, nothing much has changed. Mm. Right, And if you look at disability rights, um, the Paralympics coincided with massive budget cuts for people with disabilities, for their services. Mm. Can you really talk about a Paralympic legacy if these things happen at the same time? So it's problematic to put London 2012 on a pedestal simply because of that. And I hope that Tokyo 2020 or 2021 takes some lessons from that, that they learn from London 2012 where it did well, but also where it went wrong and where it can improve. And of course, that's going to be difficult because we're also in the middle of a pandemic. And the first things to go usually are the new programs and the new initiatives and innovations. We'll come back to how the pandemic has affected the Paralympics later on in the show. But first, I'd like to ask about perceptions surrounding disability here. So when we look at Japan, how are people with disabilities often portrayed and perceived here? So there's there's more than 9 million people in, um, in Japan with a documented disability. So that means that they have this little booklet that tells them that they have a disability, that they went through um, a medical service to, to categorize them as disabled. It's 7.5% of the population. It's quite a big number. And Around 30%, like one-third of that population is over 65. So it's, it's also a very specific population. Mm. And if you look at how people with physical impairments are shown in, in the media, uh, especially during the Paralympics, we see young, often very athletic people because, mm. you know, they're athletes. But, you know, they have very, very visual disabilities. Mm. Um, they're missing an arm. They're missing a leg. Um, there's something... Uh, that is replacing that very often, a technology. For example, uh, you see the artificial legs. And so when we think of disability, looking at the Paralympics, we think of people with those kind of Mm. disabilities, those kinds of impairments. Yeah, at the end of the day, they are elite sportsmen and sportswomen. Yeah, 
Yeah, they are. And they have access to these kind of technologies as well, right? That makes them able to compete in the Paralympics. Mm. So there's, there's, a, there's a large discrepancy between um, how people with disabilities are uh, portrayed in the Paralympic movement and the, the lived realities of people with disabilities, especially in Japan as well. You know, this gap needs to be bridged, uh, but it hasn't been bridged yet. And this is for multiple reasons, of course. Uh, but one of them is not everyone is an athlete. Not mm. everyone is a Paralympic athlete. In your writing, you talk about the concept of ichininmai, which is this idea of how disabled people are treated uh, or they're often infantilized and never really considered to be fully fledged adults. How does that kind of manifest itself in, in the reality of being a disabled person in Japan? Yeah, so this is actually not my concept. It's uh, a concept I, I borrowed from uh, Carolyn Stevens, who wrote a magnificent book on uh, disability in Japan. Uh, and she talks about people with disabilities being measured as productive members of society. You know, they have to have a job, they have to uh, contribute economically to become a fully-fledged adult in the eyes of, of society. And this is what you call the ichininmai, the, the one person, the one fully-fledged adult. Uh, and to an extent, I do believe that holds very true. People with disabilities are quite infantilized. Um, and a lot of my field work, uh, I see people with disabilities who are adults, who can be autonomous if they want to, continuously followed by one or two people to you know, reduce the risks of them getting injured. So what is the opportunity for the Paralympics to change this perception around people with disabilities in Japan if it is only showcasing these elite athletes? Again, there's a couple things they can do. People in the Paralympic Committee can do, people in the media can do, um, but more importantly, local policymakers can do. Sports in Japan, especially for uh, Paralympic sports or disabled sports, are run locally. Local governments uh, control access to sports facilities. So they can offer more programs. And they're starting to do that. The Paralympic Games have been an excellent opportunity to kind of, you know, get new programs going, uh, find new people, reach out to people with disabilities to get them to participate. And this can be an excellent opportunity to keep this going, this momentum, right? Mm. Um, to, to keep the ball rolling, get more programs going, get more grassroots Paralympic sports and disabled sports um, off the ground. So I think that is one of the bigger opportunities I see. Not necessarily just the idea of motivating people with disabilities to you know go, go out and do something. No, but actually reaching out to them mm. and asking them, do you want to play sports? Because you know, some people might not. And being able to have programs that it, in which they can participate. And not just you know, one thing, but multiple things. Because you, know, you want to try different sports, you want to try different things, uh, you want to have fun. That's, that's the entire idea of having, doing sports. You just want to have fun, and then you, you get a little movement in the process. Mm. Um, I also think it's a very good opportunity to get more visibility for people with disabilities, to have more people with disabilities on Japanese television explaining what they're doing, what kind of sports they're doing, you know, um, explain the sports themselves, that'd be excellent. Uh, get a little more recognition mm. uh, just across society. I mean, how useful is that as a, as a tool to kind of, you know, beyond the realm of sports itself, if you're trying to create a more inclusive society, how useful is the visibility generated by the Paralympics? Because you can imagine, you know, you have this big pinnacle showcase event and then suddenly as soon as the 
TV crews leave and the athletes return to their respective countries, that all that hype immediately fades and kind of everyone forgets about it and it, it, it disappears from view again. That's the big thing, isn't it? That the moment the Paralympics leave, the spotlight is turned off, the flame is extinguished, that together with that, every interest is gone. It evaporates. Yeah, that, that's, that's a genuine fear uh, that I have because it can happen and it has happened on multiple occasions. So I, I'm looking for more concrete initiatives that might hold the test of time, might, might withstand the test of time. And what kind of projects have you been involved with that might actually be able to do that, might be able to outlast these Paralympics and you know, create more opportunities for accessibility? So uh, I've been working on a project called the Game Changer Project, um, which is a project that is organized by the Dutch Olympic Committee and Dutch National Federations, which is an integrated body in the Netherlands for sports. They do both grassroots sports and elite sports. And the Japan Sports Council, which is the implementing body for sports policy in Japan. And three awards in Tokyo, which are Adachi Award, Erogawa Award, and Nishitokyo City. And these cities participate in this project in order to gain knowledge from how the Netherlands is or has organized their disability sports. Mm. And they will then, or have actually, applied some of this knowledge to the local context in order to facilitate broader access to sports for people with disabilities in their local communities. And I've been uh, working alongside them, doing research, basically just uh, you know observing their progress for the last four, four and a half years. And this is exactly the kind of thing that I see as a more concrete, legacy for the Paralympic Games, not just the the beauty and the spectacle of the Paralympic Games itself, but the more nitty-gritty, gradual advances that you can get in local communities for people who will feel this in their daily lives. So what are, what are some of the concrete initiatives or frameworks that have been introduced and kind of taken from the Netherlands and, and are now being used by these local wards in Japan? Yeah, so... It's important to note that one of the beautiful uh, things about this project is that it's not just transplanting a system from one country to another c- country because mm. that you know never works. Mm. It, it didn't work with the German constitution for Japan. It, it's not going to work for this system uh, either. So what is happening is that policymakers on both sides have kind of introduced their own systems, have talked, have exchanged knowledge, and applied that knowledge to their own contexts. One of these, for example, is something called the um, sports concierge I see in uh, Edogawa Ward. That is, the sports concierge is a uh, like an office that people with disabilities can go to to ask what what's available in terms mm-hmm. of sports uh, for if you have a disability, and then someone will talk to you. They have access to all the programs in their own ward and possibly even extend it to other wards, hopefully in the future, uh, of what is available for them to do, to do. And do you think this kind of program would have actually taken place if the Paralympics hadn't been happening in Tokyo? No. This program would not have taken place without the Paralympic Games. The NOCNSF, 
the Dutch Olympic Committee and Sports Federations had a social program in Rio de Janeiro in 2016. And they wanted to extend this, right, to, to 2020, 2021, because it was quite a success. They wanted to attach something more, you know, socially valuable to, to the games. And they asked the Japan Sports Council, which is, of course, because uh, they implement sports policy in Japan, do you have something you want to work on? And the Japan Sports Council came back with, well, the Dutch are very strong in the Paralympics. Why is that? Could you explain to us why that is? And this is the entire reason this program mm. now exists. So without the Paralympic Games, this would not have happened. The Dutch would not have come across, uh, you know, the entire continent to, to visit Japan and to, to explain how the Dutch system works. Neither would the Japanese policymakers have gone to the Netherlands and talked to all these local policymakers and seen what they could use and what they couldn't use and see how they could improve disability sports in their own communities. This would not have happened without the Paralympic Games. Very basic question, sort of away from the elite level of Paralympic sports. How can sport be used to make a more inclusive society generally? There's um, so many things I can say. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that... But I'm just like in the, in the image you're painting, like, okay, so we've created this facility that people with disabilities can go and play wheelchair basketball or wheelchair rugby. But that kind of feels like it's it could still be in you know, the back of another gym that I, as a non-disabled person, won't see those people or interact with them. So it feels like it'd be very easy to create just this parallel world where suddenly you can do these sports if you have some form of disability, but that actually doesn't create a more inclusive society. Well, I would argue that even that would be more inclusive than what's mm. what's present right now, uh, what's in place right now. Uh, even the parallel worlds would be more inclusive uh, although I wouldn't be a fan of it, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, more inclusive also means, of course, people without and with disabilities interacting with each other. This is also why I'm so sad that there's no spectators of during the, the Paralympics. But of course, during a pandemic, it's a very logical choice. But even if you have these parallel worlds, you would still have people with disabilities being able to participate in a sport with other people. Mm. You don't practice a sport just by yourself. You have a coach. You have a team very often. Uh, you have equipment, so you have to go to a store. You have to interact with people to get the sport going, to keep practicing that sport. And that's a, a level of communication that is very beneficial to anyone. You know, if you, you get a kid, a 12-year-old kid, out of his room and into a sports facility, into uh, a wheelchair that is made for rugby, you know, and just make him crash into the others, it's... <laughs> It's a, you can't have more communication than that, right? It's a, <laughs> you're literally crashing into people. So if we can somehow find a way to facilitate that, even if it's a parallel world, it would be more of a community than a lot of these kids or a lot of even elderly people might have. Loneliness is a real problem and it's a growing problem in Japan. And sports is a way out. Another term I plucked from one of your recent papers was the idea of the quote-unquote supercrip. And we've already touched a little bit on how the portrayal of Paralympic athletes can be exclusionary to other people with disabilities. But this term, supercrip, refers to the idea that Paralympians are often portrayed as having overcome the tragedy of their disability through superhero-like qualities. 
in what ways can that narrative surrounding Paralympians be actually detrimental to athletes with disabilities and people with disabilities more generally? Yeah, so the idea of the super crip is uh, that you have these athletes that are portrayed as basically superheroes. Um, and they're superheroes for the simple reason that they're living with their disability in a way that anyone would just live their life. The reason this can be detrimental is because it's very far removed from the daily lived realities of people with disabilities. There's this, there's this manga, right? It's a, it's a very interesting, it's the Paralympic Jump. Mm. And it's by Shueisha, so it's the, the, you know, the company that makes the, the big mangas, the Japanese mangas. And what you see there is that one of these soccer players in one of these stories, he's, he's walking across a bridge. And three kids almost run into him. And he, he ducks out of the way, right? And he turns around, and the kids are surprised. He's blind. Wow. He's blind, but he, he ducked out of the way. How could he see us? This football player starts explaining, well, because I'm blind, my hearing is now improved. Like he's Spider-Man. <laughs> well, is it Daredevil, right? Daredevil, yeah. exactly. Daredevil. Um, I, can, I can hear the bird perched on the bridge. I can hear that you lost a hundred yen coin. Like you can hear the difference between different coins falling on a busy intersection. <laughs> that, that's quite a feat. The problem is the expectations that this entails, that somehow if you have a disability, this is the level you need to achieve to be a functioning member of society. That's the problem. It sets expectations where there need not be expectations, right? Why do people with disabilities need to be superheroes just to be able to live? Mm. And because the Paralympics are inherently about these kind of people, about these very athletic professional athletes, you can get this skewed image of what disability is and how people with disabilities should behave. Mm. And this is, again, we see this, uh, this Ichinin Mai idea is you have to be productive. But in order to be productive, you somehow also have to be heroic. And I, I always like to draw the parallel between Olympic athletes and, well, maybe you and me, right? We have this, this idea that Paralympic athletes are just people with disabilities who are then heroic. Well, why are you, aren't you and I Olympic athletes, mm. right? Could, could you or me do that? Just, you know, wake up one day and just become an Olympic athlete? <laughs> just got to try a bit harder. Yeah, just, you know, if I wake up every day, do 10 push-ups, you know, I'll become, uh, I'll become the next, uh, I don't know, Usain Bolt. No, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. Uh, but for some reason, this is the general image that we then create for, for people with disabilities. Like, oh, you have, to be, you have to be this, you have to be that, and you have to be excellent. Um, otherwise, you're not a productive member of society. So it kind of creates this idea that the basically if, if a person with a disability isn't able to fully access their life, it's because of kind of their lack of trying because you have these other incredibly active, incredibly able people with physical disabilities and then kind of shifts the responsibility for them being able to get out of the house from society at large to the individual person with a disability. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's something that is just detrimental to, to your lived reality, right? It, it doesn't really help in motivating you to, to become something, uh, let alone a Paralympic athlete. I do want to wrap up 
by talking a little bit about the pandemic, which is at a new peak in Japan while these Paralympics are beginning and has derailed all sorts of plans over the last year and a half. So how has the pandemic affected the potential to create a robust legacy for these Paralympic Games? COVID has had um, a very, very great effect on the potential for getting a good legacy going for the for the Paralympic Games. This is because, for one, no spectators. There is no possibility for people to kind of experience the passion and the heat of these athletes who are trying to do their best to get a medal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a shame uh, because these you kind of take away the podium for a lot of these athletes to show who they are, what they are, their stories. Um, and that's, of course, one of the main missions of the Paralympic Games. And another thing that uh, I've seen happen across Japan is that even the initiatives that were allowed to take place were very limited. Mm. So in the project I've been observing, the Game Changer project, because of the pandemic, sports facilities shut down. They closed their doors. They closed their doors for almost everyone, but people with disabilities were last to get in. So the pandemic has greatly affected the the ability for some of these policymakers to to do their job, and as a result, it has affected the opportunities for people with disabilities to go in, talk to someone, do a sport, and uh, be active. Mm. I hope this is not going to be a long term thing. It's already been a year and a half, and if the Paralympics are over and the pandemic is still raging on. You know, at one point, what point do we kind of find the momentum again to restart these programs, to restart mm-hmm. this kind of initiative and to to get everything off the ground? And this is, of course, something I'm also scared of because the pandemic has already shut down most of the programs. Mm. So, you know, we already, we already lost a lot of the momentum that the Paralympics are supposed to offer. And you mentioned a bit earlier the idea of budget cuts and obviously a huge amount of money has kind of been given out by the government to support businesses. And at some point it feels likely that it's going to be, or various things are going to be cut back as a result to try and recoup some of the money that's been spent dealing with the pandemic. Does this pose a serious threat then to to programs for people with disabilities? Yes. Um, So the first thing to go when when, uh, a government gets in financial trouble are the new things, the additional things, the, the extra policies that uh, cost cost money but are not necessarily relevant to their you know, existence. Mm-hmm. So the moment the Paralympics disappear, there might not be enough political will to keep funding these initiatives. So yes, there is a very large chance, there's a very big chance that funding might disappear simply because um, there's not going to be enough money a lot of these governments have lost money during the pandemic. And taxes have gone down. You know, tax income has co- gone down significantly. And they have to spend more money, like you said, to support all these businesses and support all these uh, people who are out of a job now. You know, Governor Koike said um, in 2017, if I recall correctly, that it's not the Olympics, but it's the Paralympics that need to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hope that sentiment carries across to the next few years or indefinitely. Otherwise, you know, I fear what might happen. We might 
see a dispersal of stakeholders again. We might see people losing interest again. Um, and that's something I am I'm truly afraid of. Anoma, thank you very much for coming in today and speaking with me. Thank you very much for having me. That was Anoma Fontefira. You can find his Twitter handle and some of his recent papers linked in the show notes. Thank you so very much to him for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. The Japan Times is, of course, covering all the latest from the Paralympic Games online at japantimes.co.jp. Go check it out. Deep Dive will be back next week talking to Josh Grisdale of Accessible Japan. And until then, as always, Podskare Samar. <laughs>